neither Sean Morley nor Jack Lewis Evans have ever actually done illegal drugs. That is crime. Neither Sean Morley nor Jack Lewis Evans have done crime. Any conversation about the personal illegal drug-related activities in this podcast are fictional and for illustrative purposes only. Mando's does not recommend crime. Welcome to Mandatory Redistribution Party. My name is Jack Lewis Evans. And my name is Sean Morley. Today's episode is about drugs. Why make the case for socialism when you can just put LSD in the water supply? We're talking psychedelic utopianism, Nixon's war on drugs and Hitler's meth army. And if you want access to the really hard stuff, if you gave it to a policeman, he would immediately become a communist. Then why not check out our Patreon on patreon.com slash mandatory redistribution party. There you can open your third eye to mind-expanding extra forms of content. For example, what if Sean Morley watched Star Trek and why don't beans stack? Some truly far out stuff. We would also love it if you could push our stuff onto new Mando's addicts by sharing this episode on social media, smashing us a five-star review and never, ever visiting Mando's Anonymous. We've heard it's a front for the church. Oh, actually, do you want one of these? What's that? Uh, a chew it. Oh, mate, I love a chew it. Oh, Wow, it's, it's burning me. Yeah, sorry. Um, I, I actually, I lied. About what? About the chew it? Yeah, I lied about the chew it. Sean, I, I don't feel so good and you look weird, man. I actually got it from a fortune teller. He called it Zonko candy. Have you have you tried some? Have you eaten it too? No, I'm, I've, I mean, I've just heard you talk about it and it sounds horrible, so... Uh... Sure, Sean... No, you've put me right off it. I might leave mine. Sean, I'm really going under here. How long does this last? I mean, I don't know. It just—it's just got an email address on the back of the packet. Um, it's it, it probably not a good time to bring it up. But can you actually pay me for that? It wasn't a chew. It actually cost quite a lot of money. So. I thought you were just offering it. What? You've got to well, be clear about that, mate. Well, you picked it up and ate it before. You know, I thought you'd keep it in your hand and we'd have a chat. And, well. You know, because actually to get to the fortune teller's house, you've got to take two trams and a bus, and it was quite hot today. I know, probably some wear and tear on the train. Putting those in, I'd call it just seven pounds. What is your head? What is that? Seven pounds. Do you want the other one as well? Again, that's another. That'll go back on. That'll be. I'll do it for you. I'll just pop that in. What would you say are your best and worst drug experiences? 
Should we start on worst and then go to yeah, best? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> worst is definitely the more fertile ground. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think I've definitely overall yeah. had more like long-standing, memorable, bad mm. drug experiences mm, yes. than I've ever had good drug experiences. Yeah. It's so like the very first time I took a drug, mm-hmm. like an illegal drug, was just at a house party when I was, you know, early teens. And someone was like, oh, I got some weed. And we went, just the few of us who were brave enough to smoke this weed, went round to, like, the park behind this house party. I 100% don't think it did anything. Might not have been weed. Because I remember when I first started buying drugs, Mm. simply just being a young kid was like, here's a packet of mint, (laughs) you know? Who's given you mint? My first dealer gave me mint. Mint is very obviously not weed. Yeah, it's one of the most obviously not weed. Yeah, I know mint. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I've had a mint. Mint chewing, you know, like... (laughs) Yeah, I know what mint smells like. (laughs) And I remember him coming up on a little moped and, like, shaking it into my hand. I was saying, we live in the middle of the countryside and I've met you next to, like, the back of a farm. (laughs) You don't need to shake this into my hand. There's no one here. It's nine o'clock in the the middle of East Yorkshire. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's no narcos by Peggy Farrow Lane. (laughs) (laughs) I once bought drugs on a uh, road called Pandy Lane. It's the best place for it, right? Yeah, yeah. You forget about lanes. No one one would think there'd be a crime on these really parochial sounding little byways. (laughs) We smoked it out in the park. Yeah. And then we've gone inside and we're like, oh, yeah, I'm so high. Teen placebo. <laughs> I would, it was I, 100% teen placebo. I would love, you will never be higher on weed than teen placebo. And then and then the person who's part of it was like, my mum's coming home, mum's coming home. Most of you need to leave. You three, you know, you're, you're stoned, so you got to go. Yeah. And we're like, oh, right, okay. And so we believed we were like high as a kite. Again, I think we just lit some oregano on fire. Yeah. And we're like, well, none of us can go home because we all said we're staying in each other's houses uh, and we don't want to be found out, you know, yeah, we don't want to go to prison. Lie. Yeah, so we just <laughs> slept. <laughs> we literally slept on a roundabout in Birmingham Centre. Yeah, nice. <laughs> and we just woke up Freezing. on a roundabout because a child was throwing stones at us. So that was my first yeah, experience yeah, of drugs. My first bit of weed I had was also involved in going on like a weird double date. But in like okay. year seven. You were on a double date in year seven. Yeah, it was very, very strange. I remember having smoked this weed and then just coughed loads and loads. And again, it was probably mm. mint, probably got minted. So it's really high. Mint. And then I, I remember kissing this girl who I didn't even really want to kiss behind like a curtain. Just like window curtains. Just window curtains, you know, legs underneath, like um, the Emperor Emperor Cla- <laughs> how, uh, Claudius was discovered after Caligula was killed. In... Is that what you were thinking about at the time? I imagine that's what my years now I was thinking about <laughs> fucking Metal Gear Solid. Because, you know, like the language you have when you're really young about like drugs is all just taken from films. Yes. Yeah. And you don't know which slang for like a marijuana cigarette yeah. is laughably out of sync with what people say and which one is just the one you will say to sound normal. Can I have a doobie spliff, please, friend? (laughs) (laughs) Pass me that big reefer bong. (laughs) (laughs) But I... I, um, So, like I said, I didn't like kissing this girl because it was mainly there for my friend who really liked this, this other girl and then bailed on the situation. Instead of just being open and honest that I didn't like this girl, I believe my year seven self insisted that I had had a bad trip 
and I used right. that for the explanation. And and also, I'm pretty sure I insisted that I couldn't further interact in any way because it would trigger flashbacks. Right. <laughs> yeah, the old war wound is playing up. Just complete, like, you know, like, no emotional... Obviously, because I was, like, what, 12? So I just didn't know what was going on. But what it did provide was an excuse to get out of in a very awkward situation but that's not my worst drugs experience that's just that's the first weed experience i like even just both of our first drugs experience was like this is bad <laughs> <laughs> but we didn't have a nice time but we were nevertheless compelled by the novelty of drugs, drugs to, yeah. to, to do it again big time and i think that whole like you know that social excuse of being like oh sorry um on drugs that is <laughs> what drugs give you. Yeah, that, yeah. that is that's the made appeal of drugs. Is you've got this effective window where you can go. Oh, sorry about that thing I did or said. I'm on I was drugs. Out my, I was out of my mind. Yeah. yeah same the thing you under, need to understand is I'm on drugs now. <laughs> <laughs> that's not me. The thing you that's need someone to else. understand about why I did that is I'm currently yeah. on a drug. Yes, I have smoked <laughs> one gram of mint. For the next two hours, my behaviour is excused by the trip. <laughs> <laughs> what other drugs have you taken? How, 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 far, how far have you dabbled into the drug hole? I have done Joe Rogan's favourite, DMT. And that how was a DMT trigger. Well, there was a lot about it that was fucked in that we were kind of smoking it through like a sort of a crack pipe type thing. Mm -hmm. um, I guess it was just a pipe, but it didn't look like a normal... It was a weird Those pipe. Those really harsh little stubby horrible, pipes. Horrible They're pipe. Not nice. um, mixed with, it's horrible, it's horrible DMT. So it was mixed with some sort of herbs by intent. It was mixed with some other shit, God knows what. Uh, my main memory of that was I had really messed up visuals, which reminded me of like, do you remember when windows used to break down and you could drag a window around and it would like replicate mm. itself? I was doing that with my hand, but it was over really quickly. DMT doesn't last very long compared to, like, acid or something. Um, right. Yeah, executive have acid. Have you done um, salvia? I've not done salvia. I've not done salvia. Salvia's weird gimmick is, like, it is a truly intense trip. Like, yeah. it's you will go from naught to you cannot correctly process any perceptual information correctly <laughs> oh my in, like, 10 seconds. But it just gets flushed out of your system within, like, 10 minutes. So it's just, like... Super fast, super intense. Yeah. And then you, like, slowly drift back into reality over, like, one or two minutes. And you're like, oh, yeah, none, none of that was real. But it's not even, like... That's very similar you, to DMT. Really? Yeah, very similar. I mean, even just... You know how you said you had those after images from your hand? I don't think on salvia I could just pick my hand up and look at it and know that's my hand. <laughs> DMT is the one where people say they see, like, elves and stuff. I'd hate to see an elf. Do you know, like, a long-lasting psychedelic where you, mostly you go, oh, mostly you're just in your room, right? But then there's, like, a goblin. And you're like, you're probably not real, but, you know, because they're not going away, you're yeah. kind of forced to interact with it. That's, That's what problem. I don't want. That's the problem with, with acid is it, you're in for the duration. Mm. You need someone looking after you. You know when you're a kid and you think, oh, that's what drugs are because you've learned it from films? Even people who are, like, 20 who are, like, doing acid and it's the, and it's the first time they've done acid – they are like, to an extent, their experience is like informed by what they think acid is going to do. Yeah, yeah, they're and primed. I, yeah, yeah. And I remember lying in my bed and hearing people in the corridor and they were just talking about the shapes in the, on the carpet mm -hmm. and like how amazing they are or whatever. And then genuinely talking about being able to see the music. And they were, of course, listening to 
the Beatles. <laughs> oh, that's uh, awful. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel like... <laughs> if someone was having well, a like profound is. experience, I'd hate for it to be to the Beatles. Yeah, well, that's it, because it's like, well, this person's obviously, you know, fair, you know, they're having, a, as you say, a profound experience. But from my perspective in the next room, I'm like, this is cringe. <laughs> it's cringe. Your, your mind has been expanded in a way that could change your perception of the world forever. Yeah, and it's cringe. And it's cringe. Yeah, like, I, I would love to, you know, be tripping and be like, the sounds I can hear now of like opened a portal into the deepest recesses of my mind. I truly understand my own soul. And then someone's like, <laughs> that was just like the credits to the arches or something. That was just <laughs> that was just some interstitial. That was an advert on the radio for double glazing. <laughs> and that's like people having a good time. When you see people have a dreadful time, then you're and you're like, I am never doing this. Like Mm. I will never touch cocaine. Anyone on cocaine is like the worst person to be talking to. Mm -hmm. I tell you what, we got big style. The millennials got hit hard with this in school. Was like, don't what? take ecstasy because it will right. instantly kill you. Mm. There was a big, I don't know. I feel like we, there was a lot of assemblies and the two main messages were, do not take ecstasy and do not go on railway lines. <laughs> They feel random. They do feel random, but that, I'm right, right? You remember those messages. I don't remember ecstasy being specifically... Oh, I mean, maybe, I it was, went to, maybe it was a special North Wales thing. <laughs> well, I went to a Catholic school and we specifically had someone in like, doing the natural high tour. No, there's your explanation. Well, do you think so? Why? Uh, yeah, I think the Catholic probably have a thing similar to the approach to sex, which is just like, we're not even telling these children about ecstasy. I didn't learn. I got no drug education. Yeah, but beyond, so really, all I remember... Element. Is a guy came in to do a special assembly yeah. and it was called Natural High and it was talking about how you could get high off of looking at the clouds and thinking nice things about your friends. Oh that was my, my drug education. God. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, okay, we had a very different school. Yeah, time. I think so. <laughs> I remember I, I, I've taken MDMA. I ended up finding it horrible after <laughs> multiple times because... Did you, what, you found like, it what, after multiple times. It didn't. It wasn't. So it was good for a bit. Well, the experience of taking MDMA is just you're very happy. Just, everything's yeah, very everything's nice. Great, you're having a lovely time. Yeah. So, like on the face of it, yeah. that's a nice time. But just by definition, that's a yeah. nice time. Yeah. But over multiple times, I found myself dreading, <laughs> dreading taking it yeah. because because the transition from chemically, this is what it would be like if mm -hmm. I was just constitutionally really happy. And really positive. And now there's this period where I transition from that yeah. into what I am actually like in yeah. real life, uh. which is not like that. And you get to feel like, you know, if there's like a crossfade, you know, in the mixing desk of yeah. your own brain, there's a crossfade between this is quite nice, that's very pleasant. Yeah. All these experiences are actually very nice. I'm very glad I've taken the time to uh, appreciate them for once. Uh. And then that crossfades down. Yeah. And what crossfades up is. Um, they just look at me a bit weird. What do yeah. I have to do tomorrow? Am I on top of this? Oh, no. When was this, last time I checked my emails? This person I've been saying. Do people saying, here like me? Are this person my, I've been <laughs> saying is my best mate for the last five hours. It's actually really annoying. They've just said something. I think that's, that's wrong. Lord, do, they, yeah. do, they, do they think that or is that the drugs? Oh, God, what have I been saying on these drugs? <laughs> I hope, hope everyone realises <laughs> it was the trip, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope people realise I've got the excuse that it was the drugs. <laughs> oh, anyway, what am I up to later? So we need to eat. Oh, we should probably yeah. drink more because of the drugs. You know, and, and, and that sliding in, you're like, yeah. that's me. <laughs> that's I'm me. Back. And, 
and only through taking a holiday from it. You know, yeah. well, I don't know, I can't remember who said it, like, you know, you go on an adventure and only at the end do you know yourself. But imagine that, but it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. Yeah, yeah. I, I used drugs to find myself and what I found was bad. I understand the idea that all drugs are addictive and I know it wasn't... Um, I don't think that distinction is made, like, really clearly because I think, you know, anti-drugs messaging is just takes the methodology of a hammer. Yes. But the idea that you could just be chemically in a nicer place is fundamentally addictive in a way you need to understand completely separately from like nicotine which is just chemically addictive when you've done like proper psychedelic stuff did you have that sense of the uh the transcendence the the, the speed run hack to zen and seeing the togetherness of the true now, reality I, type experience that people say they have i've been a bit too scared to do like the long lasting mushrooms or acid stuff taken orally and then you're like a bit gone for like two or three hours that's when people oh, say no. they have these transcendental experiences yeah. yeah i've never done that because that <laughs> sounds that's i'm genuinely scared of that i genuinely I, I i now view my own mind like a little fragile egg and something will be born out of it one day and i want to forestall that event <laughs> i've had a batch of yeah. mushrooms where I, th I was th i thought the spiders were coming out of a um car's ventilation system i just wouldn't be able to handle this yeah i just had a bad that was bad acid different but you know did it responsibly to the extent that you can mm. but it didn't have the epiphany some people talk about you know that sort of 60s 70s counterculture thing where it's like open your mind man take this then you would realize that war is bad so like lsd was the big counterculture drug but also yeah. i think it was um like it, it, i think it's like considered historically squarely in the purview of the hippies but i think a lot of businessmen took it as well right there was like this posh corporate end to it where people would go on retreats and think it was this really like, useful thing yeah any drug and also loads of the hippies were business people well i mean how can you, yeah. you know, how can you do free love in the fields without yeah. someone back where, where's the food coming from yeah. they weren't farming <laughs> they weren't starting yeah. up agrarian communes yeah remember all the hippies yeah. from the 60s and 70s are the people who voted in reagan and thatcher the idea that there could be a pill you take that completely changes your your philosophy your ideology do you believe in that? Well, I mean, if, if you want to talk about, like, actual medicine, mm. you know, I've had friends and family members who had to go on antipsychotics or, like, had to receive medical treatment for schizophrenia. Did that change them so much that it would also cover their political outlook and their approach for the people? 100%. But what I'm asking is, if Nixon had acid, would he become anti-war? But I think, I think the hippies thing is premised on, if I'm, like, a bit stoned yeah. <laughs> or a bit high on certain substances i will have a greater capacity for empathy yes. i might be less guarded all of these walls between me and you there are all of these walls and if you're a different race or a different creed or a different gender yeah, 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 yeah. you know i can't understand you because of all the shit that the man heaps down on us exactly but if we broke exactly. all that away with like a which is what pipe, hallucinogenic drugs supposedly do is you have this right. epiphany of the do you have a transcendental epiphany of the connectedness of all being? You know, you realise that war is, in fact, self-harm. But it's like, I feel like it's founded on individual empathy, which then, you know, you go, oh, wow, and then everyone has this inner life? Wow! <laughs> and then, like, it's like that um, Eric Wareheim, like, space exploding yeah. through his brain gif, and you go like, okay, I guess we can't have prisons. 
(laughs) (laughs) That journey is built on an individual empathetic connection with someone actually in your immediate environment. I don't think you could um, necessarily, like, take acid and then go on Twitter (laughs) and have the same experience because I think it's founded on, like, like a concrete experience you have with someone while you're high and maybe they're high as well. You've ever heard Joe Rogan talk about any of this? Uh, Yeah, bits and bobs, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or like Jordan Peterson. I think it's really interesting because basically this old idea of you can have, and I I don't think it necessitates being with some individual that you suddenly have empathy for. I think there, there was a belief in the 60s and 70s in hippie types that if you have acid, then you will open your mind to the true interconnectedness of like all life and being, not some individual that you're with, but like on a massive level um, Mm. beyond anything. And that then that will change your politics. But the reality of it is, is that the people who really talk about that stuff now are people like Rogan. (laughs) Yeah, I guess what I've done is I've heard all of that stuff and I've tried to formulate the most realistic version of it that I could in my head. You've tried to fix... The insanity, right? I've tried. Do you know, like, the opposite of straw manning an argument? Yeah. Sometimes you can iron man an argument of being like, none of this makes any sense, but here's the closest thing that I could understand. Oh, yeah. Your version makes sense, but I'm saying this. Yeah, I, they, I, they believe yeah. you will actually tap into a grand truth yeah. that's now available to your brain. Yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's interesting. But it, it, it's like, obviously, it's nonsense, isn't it? Because there's loads of business people that have done loads of drugs and they're still business people well i'm sure a handful probably went and now live in a commune (laughs) (laughs) living off the interest of their it's in a blind trust yeah 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 (laughs) Yeah. everything's connected man because i've got an i've actually got a very small stocks and share in every business in the FTSE 500 yeah yeah all all my companies are publicly traded now so i'm just a part of the universe (laughs) (laughs) and i love that thing of like in the 60s of like the idea of the discovery of this stuff when obviously it goes back a long long time and obviously we can get into ideas of kind of cultural appropriation and things like that and then the way certain drugs are seen that are consumed by white middle class people versus other people say the difference between well it's not hallucinogenic but the difference between like crack cocaine and cocaine and how that's policed and stuff in the united in the united states especially but i love bonkers stuff from history like berserkers you know, like viking berserkers Cahoolan. Well, at one point people thought they were on mushrooms but they weren't on mushrooms because mushrooms doesn't make you go and kill people. They were high on bear pelts. <laughs> just wearing, they got too many bear pelts. <laughs> They're just covered in bear as pelts. As soon as you put a bear pelt on, you start going fucking, your psychotic fury is unleashed. But yeah, I think they were on something something else. It was a painkiller and also it induced rage. Oh, I never heard this like chemical explanation for the berserker suit. Yeah, yeah, you think yeah. one, they were like coked up. Well, they're on something. I think it's called henbane, but basically they were right. they'd have a bit of that and then go mental, which is very similar to the um, the Nazis' whole put everyone on meth approach. So there's a book by Norman Orler. He was going to write a book about because he found out about this use of meth by the Nazis, where they were like prescribing it for everything. They're prescribing it. GPs were prescribing it to pregnant women. He was going to write a novel about it, but ended up writing like a basically a history book because during the research he found so much mad stuff about it. Like there's there's documents like reports to Churchill or whatever talking about soldiers marching for like 20 hours. And they're like, well, how the fuck, how did they do that? They were yeah, on yeah. meth. Everyone was on meth, right? Because yeah. they were, it was like an over-the-counter, you get it at Boots, yeah. got some meth. It wasn't just you could have it, that you know, the whole... The doctors were prescribing it. They wanted people on it, right? It was the whole, yeah. like, let's go. Let's <laughs> revolutionise 
Do you know what I mean? It was part of this big like wake up Germany Nazification yeah. industrialization thing. Everyone was just methed up for like half a decade. You know what they went gave the whole army crystal meth. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! Do you know? Then they invaded France, yeah, and they were like, "Okay, this, this is this is really working." Did, did you hear about um, when they sent like coked up kids in single person U boats? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they had this design for a U boat, but mad. it can only fit one person, and then there was, <laughs> and it got shelved because they were like, yeah. "Well, the U boat would need to be like operated and maintained mm-hmm. all day long for for days, so you couldn't put one person Not on practical. that." But then when they just <laughs> when they thought they might be losing the war, they're like, okay, we're just going to put a kid in the U-boat and give them so much cocaine they're going to stay away for a week and just tell them to go and swim up the Thames estuary in it and blow mental. stuff up. And, and, and they just went mad. They just had psychotic episodes and just got completely lost and just... Yeah. It just sounds horrible. It's just horrific. Yeah, some of them at the bottom of the sea. Yeah. That's dark, isn't it? They're going to be found some of them up in the North Pole. Yeah. <laughs> just up. be lost. Absolutely fucked up. Yeah. Nazis. Bad guys. IMO. Do you know that was... Sigmund Freud was well, well into cocaine. Makes sense. He wrote a book that's literally just about how amazing cocaine is. Uh, His big argument for it was that it was like a cure for being addicted to heroin. Right. So here, this will get you off the... uh, This will get you off the heroin, I'm telling you. This has been a long-standing history of, like, people... In like semi-medical fields, being like, okay, let's just tweak people with this, yeah. and look, at least for now, I, it makes them behave in ways we see are positive. <laughs> and obviously, after a while, they like die, and then yeah. that process is refined. But we're still on that. We're still on that train, I think. You know, like Roundtree's and all all the sweets companies that were started by the Quakers to try to get people onto sweets and off alcohol, right? But then obviously, that makes sense. <laughs> sweets cause diabetes just, and lots just like cornflakes yeah cornflakes were to get people off of wank it <laughs> <laughs> why not both here's here's a drugs related thing i really really dislike which is the type of person who believes that anything creative can only have come through someone being on drugs you know like someone uh, who watches like adventure time and yeah. then goes oh wow these guys must be on drugs it's like well no they just came up with an idea you don't need to be on drugs to do that. And surprisingly, you get that inside and outside of the drugs community. Like, because from <laughs> yeah, yeah, outside, yeah, yeah. it's like you've made some really weird, freaky stuff. I'd never do that because my body is a temple. Yes. And then inside of it, you go, wow, this guy makes some really interesting stuff that I really respect. Maybe I need to get more high. And then <laughs> I'll realize my own creative yeah. ambitions. <laughs> yeah. Unlock the Sid Barrett within me. Do you know what I mean? So people on both sides are sort of othering. Yeah. The very mundane process of creativity yeah. by linking it to some kind of psychedelic effect as opposed to just working overtime on a craft until you are better at it. The lack of imagination that someone could create something interesting and unusual without like a, a, a chemical unlocking that in their brain. Mm. And also, I really don't think you could do very effective work if you were on large amounts of, you know, like if you're on acid couldn't write a very good comedy show well, or even weed because the stuff you'd find have... funny would not be funny well i've died i, I did it yeah and that's exactly what happened what acid I, no no I, right. I i've gotten high a few times and tried yeah. to write stuff 
and things that would make me cry with laughter at the time. It's dreadful. Ah, uh, I want to say it would be even better if I said, "Oh, they're just incoherent scribblings." Yeah. But they weren't. They just were not that yeah, good. Bad, <laughs> they yeah. just weren't actually very good ideas. I was just being um, very generous with myself. (laughs) (laughs) But also, and related to that, so the idea that like a certain creativity can only be unlocked with drugs. I really don't like the idea that compassion, it's to to have compassion for other human beings. It's necessary to have, you know, unlock this in your brain using chemicals. But the, the, the other one is related to the whole Nazis thing is that I think we run a risk of misunderstanding the Nazis and the nature of the sort of horrific shit they did if we reduce it to, oh, they were all on drugs. Because if you take a problem that is due to someone's behaviour or or the immorality of their behaviour, and then you want to say that can be solved with chemicals, well, then you're turning something that's like about a social problem, Mm. a problem of morality, a problem of outlook, a problem of ideology, and you're saying, actually, that's rooted somewhere in the brain Mm. and that that could be solved by altering their brain chemistry it that feels like it could be like the tendrils of what that assumption could do it feels really dangerous relatedly there's the obviously just the legal approach to all these things where drug issues aren't seen as a health issue they're just like policed again and some communities are far more uh direct victims of this than others going like oh the drugs are the problem ignores like the macro aspects of all of that mm. completely blanks out all wider context for why things are happening in a just an extremely reactionary way and i think they're kind of related the criminalize the drugs logic to the the drugs have these like special powers that can unlock either absolute creativity empathy or evil yeah i mean just everyone taking caffeine in the morning and on the weekend taking lots of alcohol. There are these drugs which are like built into the structure of the week. Yeah. Stimulants on a weekday, depressants on the weekend. See what I mean? And like, I'm now medicated for ADHD. Mm. So I'm taking an amphetamine yeah. every day, yeah. <laughs> legally. And that is to change my energy levels, change my concentration levels, and change my sleep patterns so that I conform better to a working day. Mm. And this is a drug that falls both within the this is an acceptable medical drug Mm -hmm. and in the this is an illegal drug. Depends who's taking it, right? If I have a question about this drug that I'm taking, literally every day from the moment I wake up to when I go to sleep, this drug is in my system. So I go, I've got a question about this. And depending on what website I land on, it goes, this will kill you. This drug is going to kill you. Or <laughs> this drug is perfectly safe. Take it all you like. It's completely fine. Yeah. Do you know, it goes, because this is a stimulant. It's, yes. a, it's, it's a stimulant medication. So if I land on Talk to Frank, it goes, well, stimulant medications make your heart beat faster. That's decreasing your lifespan. That's destroying your heart. And then the NHS website goes, yeah, you can take this for as long as you like. We prescribe this to children. We prescribe this to the elderly. And I go, well, someone's... Lying. <laughs> Someone is lying. Because you might give this to me because I've got a different, you know, yeah. dopamine absorption in my brain. I haven't got a different kind of heart, you no. know. I've got the same kind of heart as anyone else. The way we treat certain drugs, mm. I mean, obviously, that's, I mean, that's, that's a point that's been is made it, over yeah, and over again. with the Baseline point. Yeah. <laughs> Gordon Brown chucking out. Professor Nutt, because he said horse riding was more dangerous than a lot of Class A's. He was like, let's get an objective person in. They go, well, what's, this is all pointless. And then he just sacks him. 
<laughs> yeah, it's just a good, like, this is how government advice works. It goes, okay, yeah. you have legitimacy as an advisor to the government because you're third party. Okay, I'm a third party. You don't have any power over me. So here's yeah, my, here's my opinion. recommendation. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 that's not the conclusion we want. See you later. <laughs> yeah. Get out of here. <laughs> Can I tell you about this research they're doing at Imperial College London? They're doing this big research project to see if psychedelics could resolve the Israel-Palestine conflict. Oh, for fuck's sake. What, giving them to who? I think they're just getting Israelis and Palestinians and just getting them really high. On? They're giving them ayahuasca. Jesus. And then seeing if they get along. <laughs> and then presumably going, well, what's all the problem then? <laughs> oh, for f- what? Is it working? The press release talks about trying to get people not to see themselves as group identities. But I just don't know. I just don't know what that means. If like I'm a Palestinian, I don't see myself but as part of a group are, identity. Who are these people? Are they are they like politicians? I don't think it's actual politicians who have any say over what actually happens politically in the region. No. So it's just it's just like a random Palestinian person and a random Israeli person. Don't think it specifies who they are. It just says wow. groups of. I think it's just done in lots of different trials. It doesn't identify who the participants are. Like, if you need ayahuasca to realise that apartheid is bad. But do you know what I mean? Let's say you're a Palestinian, you're like, okay, yeah. I've like, you know, I've had some sort of ego death and I don't see myself as Palestinian. I just see myself as a person, a citizen of the world. Yeah. And then you walk around this ghettoized part of your neighbourhood and then you try to go up one street and like the idea for like, you can't come here. Yeah, because no, no, guns. I've taken ayahuasca. I see myself as a citizen of the world. Can I come <laughs> up the street? No. No. <laughs> no, you can't. End off. <laughs> <laughs> I believe the experiences that people have on drugs can genuinely help people in significant ways. Help them achieve emotional balance, unlock their creative potential, or work through complex problems in new ways. But I also think this about going on a long walk, having a little nap, or talking to a cat like it's a stupid little baby. In 2019, the journalist Michael Pollan gave a keynote address at the Esalen Institute and said that his research into the effects of psychedelics had suggested to him that these chemicals have the power to resolve the environmental crisis, to end war and bring peace. If only, he said, we could get Trump to trip. The Esalen Institute was the birthplace of the human potential movement. Based on the ideas of Abraham Maslow and Aldous Huxley, its philosophy aimed to develop methods to help people reach their full potential. A mission statement I do not understand, I find vague and very suspicious. What does it mean to realise your potential? Because obviously inside all of us are lots of things we could all do or be or learn to become. What if I found out I had the chops to be a world-class balloon animals guy? Am I obliged to make inflatable sausage dogs? Because I'd rather just be sad. I'd rather just be sad and hungry and dead. Even outside of executive wellness retreats, this belief exists in the wider drug community. There were signs saying stuff like, cops need to do ayahuasca during Black Lives Matter rallies across America. Do they? Is this true? What can drugs do to solve structural problems? 
Whether you think they're going to unlock your soul to the grand interconnectedness of life, or it's just an empathy pill, you're still going to struggle to solve police violence with them. If you give a cop an anti-violence pill, ultimately they're either going to have to quit, get sacked, or just be violent while being depressed. Cops are not a kind of guy that just exists in the world, right? Our society produces cops to be cops. Cops weren't just wandering around and then the state created a police force to kind of accommodate them and give them something to do. The state created the police and therefore it had to create people to be cops to do policing. And so what the cops do is in line with a much bigger power, the state and what it wants. So why propose this idea of a state that is making this army of appointed violence and then giving them kindness pills? Doesn't it make more sense to just not make the cops? The danger of drug utopianism is not just that it individualizes the problem of social and political violence, it kind of medicalizes it, right? It points to the brain of a SWAT officer bringing the truncheon down on the head of a student dentist and it goes, something's gone wrong up here points a laser pointer up at the balcony of a screaming dictator and a quiet scientist whispers in your ear, this man needs some kindness juice. But hatred and violence and extremism, these are not random individual mutations. They are an extension of the ideology of imperialism. And that ideology is very widespread. That ideology seeps like warm treacle from every newspaper in the country. And keeping all that in place while adding LSD to the water supply would only be considered a solution if the Prime Minister was the old woman who swallowed a fly and she was on LSD. The association between psychedelics and pacifistic flower children feels circumstantial. Why wouldn't the chemically induced hallucinations of a racist summon up racist hallucinations cast as divine revelations from the cosmos? Multiple neo-Nazi groups have been discovered taking or manufacturing psychedelics. 8chan, the website that radicalized the Christchurch shooter, was conceived of while on mushrooms. While the results of this is not some realistic looming threat from psychedelic Nazis, instead, it creates the insidious and mundane reality we are already familiar with. The Joe Rogan Show is not only the most popular podcast in the world, it has an audience that dwarfs legacy TV news. And at any time of day, you can listen to him interviewing a white supremacist while holding a fat doobie in his offhand and talking about the benefits of DMT. This is why drug utopianism fails. Its most intellectual advocates, like the human potential movement, have nothing to say about society beyond drug advocacy. Anyone truly interested in human potential and people achieving what they're capable of should advocate for workers' rights or emancipation for wage labour or just feeding the hungry, helping the homeless. These things are obstacles to people getting stuff done. Instead, focus is on helping a bunch of rich wellness gurus crank their happiness gauge to 110% thanks to ayahuasca. And ayahuasca itself is a plant sacred to the indigenous people of Peru. But drugs tourism has brought such severe over-farming that in many regions it has already stopped growing wild, causing supply issues for the people in Peru, removed access to indigenous people who have been using the herb for a thousand years, and transferred cultivation to the commercial farmers who are bulldozing the Amazon rainforest. 
So far, the ayahuasca drug tourism industry has already been linked to 12 murders, including the murder of natives, the murder of tourists by natives, and at least one murder of a tourist by another tourist after his friend drank ayahuasca and ran up to him with a knife, shouting, It's time to get your demons out. got anything against balloon animal guys i just threw it in as a joke maybe it could be nice to make a um a, a little talk right sean so say you were a leader of an ostensibly democratic country okay sounds great people going around calling you like leader of the free world and stuff oh wow yeah, okay so it's, pretty, it's going well it's an eminent position that you found yourself in but you've got you got a little problem right in terms of a couple of groups that you really don't like. You don't like them. Irritating people. Irritating. Yeah, nuisances. A real spike in your shoe. Yeah, dickheads, are they? Let's <laughs> <laughs> come out and say it. And they're saying things like, and they're saying things like, this war that this Sean Morley's guy is doing. Oh, I'm, on, I'm doing a war? You're doing a war. But remember, you're leader of the free world. So the only reason you could possibly be doing a war... Is to help. Is to help. You know, like you mm. are deforesting things from the sky and doing like scorched earth. Even in some countries next to the one that you're sort of at war with. But you're obviously doing... You'd be doing that for good reasons, yeah? Yeah, like it, wh whatever I'm doing is obviously really bad. It's war, it's right? War. So it's really yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. But if it accomplishes an even greater good... Uh-huh. Then in a purely abacus-brained way, <laughs> you've got to let me off. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> yeah. I'd never normally shoot a tiger, but if it was going for the orphanage, yeah. bam, 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 you know? Take them out. Take you them can't out. just shoot tigers willy-nilly. That's evil. Exactly. And you're not evil. You're the leader no. of the free world, democratically elected. Yeah, and I never called myself that. No. People just started calling that me that organically. Right. Exactly. And I couldn't stop them. That's the one thing I can't do. <laughs> <laughs> that's the most all i can do is drop bombs <laughs> yeah exactly your only option and yeah. and you got so you've got some people who've got they're, they're critical of this war and also some of their ideas seem to be about like the, the whole setup you got going about the economy and the social and economic hierarchy of the country is like fucked they're saying it's these fucked. people are probably 19 and they yeah, don't know how complicated yeah, it all yeah. is they're glonked their brains they're, 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 they're glonked on youth yeah exactly if they yeah. can't even use the brain abacus because they're yeah. too young their hands are too weak like a I baby think you never seen have a done baby, something you know? to their critical yeah. abilities exactly right and then you've got these other Duran Duran. you've got these other people and they're also very skeptical of this war because like disproportionately people from their community keep getting conscripted into this war whilst domestically they're having like quite a bad time. Both of these groups, they're a bit of a pickle for you, right? Mm. You, as leader of the free world and as like a good person, what you can't do is just say that these people are just straight up. The things they want are just 
evil. You can't just say no because then they'll get even angrier. They'll be more pissed off. And also, yeah. you don't want anyone starting to think that, like, maybe they've got a point or something. Like, maybe you shouldn't be, like, bombing. Just yeah. If someone comes to me with an objection that I 100% cannot deal with, yeah. do not want to hear it, you always have to say, oh, that's interesting. Well, I've got a lot on now. <laughs> I do. I, I've heard you. Yeah. That's really interesting what you said. Yeah, I've got listening. a lot on now. And I'm not saying no yeah. so that you go on to plan B, which is tell other people or, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, form broad political coalitions. I'm not saying no. no. I'm saying I'm really, really, really busy now because of this war. Yeah. yeah. What if I told you there is an option on the table that I, mm. as your uh, chief political advisor. Oh, okay. You're in it now. I've become involved. Yeah, you're in the in. story and telling the story. It's, the narrator is a character. It's a new narrative form <laughs> that's been done lot to death. <laughs> the GM is in the campaign and he's your friend. <laughs> <laughs> and he is OP. Yeah. Stab Jack. <laughs> Kill I'm Jack. Let me narrate. To everything. Um, Let me tell the story and it all goes well. <laughs> um, and I come to you and I say, listen, I've got a way that we can make both of these groups we don't like not only look bad, mm -hmm. I can get it. So we get loads of money to send like the police after them and stuff. Kill the leaders, arrest all the people that are really annoying, just generally vilify them. You know, if someone says like, oh, I don't like war. We can't have the police just kick their head in. Because mm, it makes me seem bad. Like, brutish. Yeah. It makes you seem bad. You're not bad. Mm. You're the leader of the free world. Sure. Yeah, and I can't get people to stop exactly. saying that. Exactly. You know? I'm trying to get you to stop saying it. Bloody moaning. Stab Jack. Yeah. Stab Jack. No, shut up. Right. <laughs> Do you fancy it? Do you fancy my little suggestion? Do you want to know what it is? They don't even have to shut up, right? Because they're so vilified. Oh, yeah. That if they go, blah, 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 at some reasonable points, everyone's like, shut up. Everyone knows yeah. you guys are stupid. Yeah, well, tell them they're stupid. They're evil. <gasps> the worst ones will just better. lock up. We'll get loads of money to just go after them. And we can boil down any of their ideas to them being insane because it'll be caused by what I'm saying. They're stupid. Yes, they're Evil. stupid. And they're everything. And uh, like insane. Like they're like broken. All the boxes. They're just completely broken yeah. people. Yep. Yeah. You in. And we could just discard them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, if you great. do this, I also guarantee there will be no negative consequences to you as an individual for this. The only thing that could possibly take you down, of course, would be if you interfered with someone else powerful, like the other big political pie, but not these anti-war people. And they're the people I want to take down. Sign me up. Do it. You in? Cool. Yeah, launch. Okay, this is called The War on Drugs, and you are Richard Nixon. Okay. And are they definitely all on drugs? Mm. But and I, if you are Richard Nixon, I am Nixon's domestic policy chief, John Ehrlichman, who can Jack I... Jack Ehrlichman. <laughs> may, I, uh, may I quote from this man? Uh-huh. The Nixon campaign in 1968 had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin, and then criminalising both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? 
Of course we did. That is President Nixon's policy chief, John Ehrlichman, talking to Harper's journalist, Dan Baum. Why did he say this to a journalist? What Nixon went down for was Watergate, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. So Nixon did a lot of bad shit, for example, as well as this uh, non war on drugs, the Southern strategy, pioneering of modern dog whistle racism. Nixon, I think people know, this, you know, fucking Cambodia, Laos, as well as all the shit in Vietnam. But what happened, what, what took Nixon down was Watergate, not the bullshit war on drugs, not uh, COINTELPRO, which was a kind of uh, federal infiltration of leftist, feminist, black power groups. The, the war on drugs is like another tendril of that same entity. But what took Nixon down was the Watergate scandal. But he got off with a lot of stuff, didn't he? Nixon doesn't go to jail. But loads of other people involved, did, they did go to prison, uh, including mm. John Ehrlichman. Uh, who's the guy I've just said. So his loyalty to Nixon is dubious. You, do you see why he might right, admit this Right, I now? see, because yeah. Nixon let him swing for it, even though uh -huh. he you know, held up, his, held up his end of the bargain by coming up with this evil campaign. Nixon just let him take the fall. I get it. Yeah. And then I guess as well with the Democrats, it's much better for your political opponent to set up all these things. And then you can just, just be like, yeah. that's just the, his legacy that you never do anything about, but you you never committed Other the original sin. You just continue it going. And you say, oh, well, we've got to to get the votes, et cetera, et cetera. We've got to now because it's how it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you've got the extension of that, which is the pretty widespread idea in, in black communities in America, which is a result of things like COINTELPRO and the, not, the nonsense of the war on drugs and the sort of brutal policing of black communities with an agenda uh, that... Has, has only tenuous links to actually drugs as a problem, which is that the CIA, the federal as a, as an arm of the federal government, was the source of the crack cocaine problem in black communities. Tell me more about this. So, so it isn't like the CIA guys with sunglasses selling crack on like a street corner, the wire style. Mm -hmm. The closest thing you've got to an actual case study of this happening is you know the you know the Iran Contra affair. Mm -hmm. In a nutshell. A socialist government takes power in Nicaragua, which was previously basically a kind of authoritarian regime, US puppet regime, enabling American corporations to just plunder their natural resources, et cetera, et cetera. Then you get the Sandinistas in and, you know, despite their problems, they do things that socialist governments tend to do, like massively improve literacy rates, welfare programs. So the CIA were bankrolling right-wing paramilitaries called the Contras. Uh, eventually, the Democrats in Congress said you can't bankroll the Contras anymore for whatever reason not to absolve the Democrats of all the insane stuff they did under the guise of anti-communism, but they did try to stop that. They still continue to fund the Contras, but instead of directly with government money, they did it w with various other means. And one of those means was the CIA turned a blind eye to slash facilitated uh, the Contras bringing coke into the USA. Right. And it's a way of paying them by not arresting them for a very profitable crime. This was real by some journalists in the 80s and the response of the other journalists in classic, you know, we know how journalists behave is what they did was they vilified the journalists who revealed that this was mm -hmm. happening. The CIA went into full denial mode. The journalists' careers were completely ended. The CIA basically said, no, we'd never do that. We'd never, ever do that. What are you on about? And then uh, in the last five or six years, they basically said, yeah, we were doing that, yeah. Everything's a conspiracy theory until 30 years later when it's like, oh, you know, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> Here you go. Honestly, classifying this was a real pain. Do you want this? That's the most concrete bit of the CIA facilitating the proliferation of drugs. And also look at how drugs were criminalised. The difference between how cocaine is policed versus crack cocaine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also crack cocaine 
formed this thing about like crack babies, which was still like another way of like not only policing the black community, but like fundamentally demonizing, demonizing them. Yeah. By attacking like the fact they don't love their children correctly and, and children are growing up addicted. Like like the addiction cycle starts from like when you're one day old. Yeah. It like went massive into the othering of like black communities. Completely fucking evil when you're doing that. If the drugs are decimating those communities because of all the socioeconomic problems they've got anyway, which are a result mm. of the American political and economic system and just, you know, American racism. But then if that drug problem is also being facilitated by the federal government. They're attacking you for the thing that they are also busting into your towns. Okay, can I do over Richard Nixon again? Can I just play again? Reset. Yeah. Dissolve the government. <laughs> just fully dissolve it. Can you do that? Well, as the president in the USA, dissolve the government. Yeah, just dissolve this. Dissolve. Or call an election. Or no, no, shut no, no, down. No. What do you mean? No, no, no. Just, just no more government. Just dissolve. Like, Actual dissolve. Like acid. Put them in acid. <laughs> fully burn. Like, yeah, actually yeah. melt it. I think burning government buildings have got too many... Yeah. It's got too many associations in history, but no one's ever melted government. <laughs> and people would go, this is a new moment in history. No one has ever melted the government. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd like bus in chemists and i say it's i want time. every bit of this to be a liquid yeah. and i want it all to go in a lake <laughs> one big lake this is your government here are people allowed to visit the lake Does yeah the you lake... can swim in it if you want wow who's gonna want to do that probably people who are ready to um you know <laughs> die <laughs> oh i think it would kill you right what swimming in a lake of sort of dissolved people <laughs> no 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 the people is this don't all have to of, die is this like the, the cia everything die. What, they don't have to die, but they've been turned into a liquid? Well, no, 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 you can evacuate the buildings. I just mean all the apparatus right. and all the... Or everything that's associated with government that confers any degree of status. Yeah. All the, all the staff just become people standing next to a lake. And you go, well, they could just do the government next to the lake. But like, what, they're not even indoors. No one's going to listen to them. We've burnt all their clothes, all their uniform burnt. <laughs> no one's murdered. <laughs> but it, no one's murdered, but they're going to say, well, we're, like, okay, you only burnt the buildings and my clothes, yeah, but actually yeah. what was elected was me. Yeah. And you go, well, good luck walking up to someone and go, I'm your elected official, nude and scared. I'm the director of the CIA, says the naked man. Do you know what I mean? A naked man walks in and tries to do all this, like, you know, you know, like the tone of someone who goes, I'm an official, I'm in charge. Yeah. But they're nude, so it doesn't work. And in fact, it makes them seem more bizarre, right? Yeah. And they won't have their ID. Seem, they won't have their what. ID. Nothing they say seems plausible. And also they're saying that Sisyphus Nixon mad. melted the government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're not, not going to listen to that. What you will do is give them a coat and say to you, want a coffee? And, and then you say, you know, what really happened? Listen, I've got a lot of evidence that President Nixon has been taken over by a man called Sean Morley from 2022. What are you talking okay. about? Do you, you want mad? a cup of hot cocoa? Do you want a cup of hot cocoa? You can live with us. We'll call you Brian. <laughs> and you're in our family. Sure, someone. I hope someone comes and fixes these potholes, but what can you do? <laughs> At least we've got each other. Mandatory Redistribution Party was created and produced by Sean Morley and Jack Lewis Evans. Our title theme was created by Ella Jean with additional music from Sean Morley and Jack Lewis Evans. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to further support our work, you can do so by sharing this episode on social media or joining our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash mandatory redistribution party, where we have additional content. 
Thank you so much for your support. We are genuinely and extremely grateful. Hope you're doing okay. See you next time.